Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Dan is a missionary in Tanzania. We've been supporting Dan for, I don't know, his whole life, pretty much. And uh, Dan's going to give a word from the Lord today and share a little bit about his ministry as well. You guys aren't in Tanzania anymore? We are. Oh, you are. Okay. All right. Well, well, you don't need that. You don't need that. Father, as Dan opens your word with us and he shares with us about the work that you have been doing through him and his family, we just ask that our hearts may be open to hear the things that you have to say to us through him. We thank you for his faithfulness and we thank you again for the ways in which we as a church have been able to partner in the work that they are doing. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning. That's better. (laughs) How many of you are surprised that uh, Dan and Tina Moyer are still missionaries? Maybe a couple of you are because, uh, yeah, it's been, wow, it's been over 30 years now that uh, we've been serving the Lord and in Tanzania and Zambia and Malawi and Zimbabwe and Angola and Mozambique and a lot of different countries. And we just thank the Lord that he still sees fit to use us. Um, and we've made many mistakes over the years uh, and learned a lot of things over the years. And maybe these are going to be the most productive years coming. I don't know. I hope so. I sure hope so. But there's definitely a, a huge change. We've partnered with this church since... Wow, back in, I think, 1986, 87, I actually helped. Gary wouldn't know this, but uh, maybe you were a youth at that time. I was actually helping with the youth pastor position here uh, just briefly in a, in a summer. And I started learning some of the aspects of ministry. And, of course, Tina grew up in this church. And I remember things were a little different here. I think you guys must have remodeled. But I was standing here waiting for her to walk down that aisle uh, in 1988, in December. So that was pretty exciting. So that's, yeah, almost 31 years here in a few months. So we really appreciate this church and just the, what a blessing it is to have an opportunity to come and, and share with you again. Just to catch you up on where we're at, we're, you know, we've partnered with you in so many areas. Uh, so many of you guys I see out there, we worked on loading containers to take to Zambia to build schools. I wore this ex-officio shirt, Dwayne, you recognize it, uh, from the containers. This might be a historic moment. This might be the last time I wear ex-officio because my wife's getting kind of tired of my look, you know. <laughs> I've been wearing ex-officio clothes for, I don't know, is it 15 years now since we got all those free clothes? And uh, even I'm getting a little bit tired of them. So I bought a pair of pants from Costco and I, I got the new look going bit by bit. It's slowly going up. So, <laughs> but as you, as you know, we packed, I think, seven big containers, 40-foot containers full of things that uh, went over to, to Tanzania and to Zambia. And yeah, about three years ago, I was in Tanzania at, at the Bible Institute there and I was sitting in those chairs and reading the books that we had taken over from Edmonds High School when some of you helped me to, you know, tear down some of the stuff. They were tearing down that school to replace it. And we've done so many things together, and I really appreciate some of you who came specifically today just because you knew we were here. And uh, I know Larry came specifically and others. So may God bless you for all that you've done over the years. And I just praise the Lord for, you know, being able to look back. It's important to look back, but it's important not to go into the future backwards, if you know what I mean. Those people who spend too much time focusing on the past end up tripping because they're they're stepping backwards into the past, into the future. But I like to look at the past and learn from it so that when we move forward into the future, we can be more effective in what we do. And And really, Tina and I have moved more into a role of mentorship 
and, and counseling and, and uh, doing seminars and workshops for marriages. Because, yeah, we've been married for 31 years. We've made a lot of mistakes. And also we've done a lot of projects. We've done a lot of, built a lot of schools and a lot of development work, trained a lot of pastors and just had our hands in just about everything. Evangelism, church planting. And we've seen uh, the trends come and go. And the world is changing. You know, uh, Greg, thanks for sharing about the refugee situation. And, and as you may know, when you follow the news, the world is really, really changing. Those mission fields that we never used to even dream about having the opportunity to go into and reach because they're closed, those people are coming to our doorstep, doorsteps. Amen? And now we have a different role where we have to see all of you as missionaries to the people that are coming into your neighborhoods who are from backgrounds that and countries where the gospel has been completely closed. And we're seeing now trends in Europe. I was talking to a pastor in Europe a few a couple months ago, and he says there's an explosion, there's a, a revival going on in Europe. He said every 10 days there's a church being planted in, in Spain. And every 10 days there's a church being planted in France. It's something we don't hear about, but mostly because of the refugees. Coming in. And these people are coming to Christ who have been from other religions and other persuasions, uh, where they are not free to, to come to Christ. And, uh, what an exciting time it is. You know, I, I just want to encourage you today, above all things, because you can get discouraged when you look in your backyard and you see, uh, decisions being made and, and trends coming into your culture that are counter uh, you know, counter to biblical trends, and we see uh, we see different steps being taken to abandon uh, the faith of our fathers in this nation. But don't be discouraged. Our citizenship is in heaven, and God is bringing the world to us on our doorsteps so that we can reach them. So as Tina and I have progressed over the years in our ministry, many of you have followed what we've been doing, uh, but, but lately, most recently, uh, for the last five and a half years, we moved from 14 years in Zambia to ten, back to Tanzania and we started investing in leaders that we had developed relationships with for the prior 30 years or for myself even longer uh, men and women that my grandparents had discipled and my parents had discipled uh, we started investing into their lives and started having marriage conferences and seminars it was a little bit crazy though because our first marriage seminar we had two couples that uh, were my youth leaders when I was a kid, and uh, they had been discipled by my grandfather back in the in the fifties, and uh, they'd been married themselves for almost fifty years, and yet they're sitting in our in our marriage seminar, and and you're we're trying to think, okay, this is awkward. How do we help these people that have been married for so long? But we decide, we came up with a system that uh, has been so effective. Tina and I will stand in the front or sit in the front of of the building, and as we share uh, what God is doing in our in our marriages and the week. In our marriage and the weaknesses that we've had and the issues that we've gone through, candidly sharing and even apologizing for some of the mistakes we've made in our lives that they've witnessed, it, it just breaks down the barriers. And that vulnerability, people are open now to share. And then, we'll, so we'll teach for an hour and then for 45 minutes, uh, we send them out in groups of three to, to just discuss it. And then we come back in and for more teaching and do it. So the very first group uh, that we did, this is a few years ago, all of our partners who are Tanzanian and Zambian and Malawian uh, pastors who go, go and lead the breakout groups, they all came to me and said, uh, we don't want to lead this one group, you know, with these older guys because, you know, they're, rel- they're our relatives or the- all these different reasons. So I got the old, the older guys, been married for more than 50 years. So the first thing I, I asked was, <clears throat> you know, what kind of issues have you guys identified in your marriage that are, are struggles? And then that, 
older lady, you know, and she's in her 80s now, and she says, we don't have any problems in our marriage. The problem is that in our churches, people are praying and singing like Pentecostals. That's the problem. So I said, okay, let's talk about marriage here, not church politics, you know. So she, she I was able to guide and, and, and help them understand that even they had issues in their marriage. And after the week went on and amazing, amazing breakthroughs happened, this older pastor, who's now the most senior pastor in all the Grace Churches of Tanzania, he came up to the front to testify. And he said, I want to testify about what God has done in my marriage. And I want to show you what, what he's done for me. And then he started unbuckling his, his pants. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> Tina, what did you teach in your class? You know? And he, he pulled down his, and we're like, hey, hey, what are you doing? He, no, 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 wait, it's fine. He pulled down his trousers and underneath he had a pair of ex officio shorts. <laughs> that, uh, actually just remembered that that was ex officio. That he, we'd gotten in the container and he says, these shorts, and his pants are hanging down, these shorts were given to me by Pastor Dan. And I have a hidden pocket in here, a little hidden zipper pocket, and that's where I keep my money. And my wife doesn't know what I have. She never knows the money. I've never been transparent. <laughs> But today, I'm exposing the money that I have in this pocket. He unzipped it and threw the money down on the ground and we're cheering and shouting. And I said, man, that's, that's great. And, and uh, so some of the strongholds in, in their marriages were things you wouldn't expect. But finances, he never shared for 50 years of marriage. He never told his wife the money. And then he stood up with tears in his eyes and he said, you know, I've missed out on so much because of lack of transparency in my marriage. He says, on the way here, on the bus, my wife asked if I would buy her a necklace. The necklace was the equivalent of one dollar. And I said, you buy it. You've, you've got money. I know she had money because I'd given her a dollar for the trip. So she went and bought the necklace with her dollar and had no more money left for the whole week when they were there. And he repented to all of us and said, I would have felt so much better if I would have bought her that necklace. If I would have been the one investing in her. But here I made her spend. And she didn't know that my pocket was full of money. You know, and later on in the week, my mom, who had known him since he was young, and she's 81 years old, and she's ministering over there, highly respected in the work, she gave some money to me to give to him, just to bless him as one of the older pastors. And when I handed him the money, he says, is this money in the envelope? I said, yes. He says, okay. And he looks for his wife, and he goes, and he stuffs it down her bra. There it is. That's a safe place for that money. See, I'm giving it to her, you know. Amen. So as you can see, you know, it's, it's exciting to see the impact. So as we work together to, to, uh, as our ministry changes, it's still all about people. But our ministry is less and less location sensitive. And as, as our family grows, uh, we, we're becoming more and more mobile to where we're traveling to the places, uh, and investing in the lives of those leaders that, that, uh, God has brought into our path. Our family right now is, is growing. Natalie, uh, many of you supported her as she was serving as, after high school, she served as a missionary for a year and a half on the, the Logos Hope ship, and she sailed around to 27 ports around the world. And she, uh, in the one port, port of Madagascar, uh, the Mercy ship from YWAM docked right next to the Logos Hope ship. It's the first time in history. And she had the opportunity to go onto the Mercy ship and to see what they do with medical work because their ministry is different. They, they'll stay in a port for six months and work on, on facial tumors and, and uh, different operations that they can perform. And, and she had been praying for the Lord to show her what, how he could use her and what, what should, what line of work should she pursue in college. And she just got, uh, touched by the Lord as she went on that mercy ship to say, you know, I want to be a nurse. 
And I want to come and eventually, if God wills, serve on this ship. So now she's just completed her second year of nursing at Lee University in Tennessee. And her younger sister, Nadine, has also uh, done a year. And after a year, I've always told my kids, hey, let's not pay for college if you don't really know what what is it. It's not a place to go learn, you know, what you want to do with life and then take a degree that is not going to help you. And she, after a year there, she got really good grades, but she said, you know, I don't really like college, but I want to be something techie. I want to do something with my hands. Can I go to, a, I want to do aviation technology. I don't want to be a pilot. Like, okay, let's do it. So we found her a school in, uh, called Miramar College, uh, College Technical College in, in San Diego. So the biggest purpose of our trip was to come back to the U.S., fly back to the U.S., and to take our daughters from Ohio, where they were staying with my sister, and take them to, to California, get them settled in. And then Nadine is now going to be studying, starting in August, uh, aviation technology. And that's a two-year course, and then she'll get her pilot's license, and we'll see what the Lord does. She also wants to serve the Lord, and uh, and we'll see how that how that goes. So just be praying for our kids. You know, for us, if uh, the girls or Seth go into ministry, that'll be the fourth generation uh, of our family that are in missions. Uh, if you don't know us, you know that my grandfather went to Africa in 1933 and spent 42 years over there. My parents spent, uh, well, my dad spent his whole life over there. He was buried there in 2010. And my mom continues to serve actively in Tanzania at, at 81. So she's not planning on retiring. So I guess I don't plan on retiring either. So don't be surprised with the 30 years we put in. Amen. So um, the latest thing in our life is we've moved from the southern highlands of Tanzania, where we run that camp and do marriage seminars and workshops, to the capital city of Tanzania called Dar es Salaam. Uh, it's a city of between 5 and 8 million people, depending on who you talk to and who did the last census. But our reason for moving there was because Seth, our 16-year-old son, is, is going to be going into grade 11, and uh, homeschooling just wasn't providing the, the social and the interaction that he needed. So we found a, a school called Haven of Peace Academy where uh, John Caprari, I don't know if you guys know John and, and Naomi Caprari. Uh, she's a Kemper originally, and they're, they're missionaries in Dar es Salaam. So he teaches at that school, and he was able to get us a spot where Seth could plug in. And uh, we've been there for a few months, and Seth did half of his grade 10 there. And we're praying that uh, that as we go back, he'll be able to learn a lot. And it's a neat school because it's a Christian base, and yet it's it's a, it's a really good international school that brings people from all walks of life. So he has friends that are Buddhist, Hindu, Baha'i, uh, Muslim, Christian, and pagan, and I don't know what all. And they all go to that school, and they all go to John's Bible class. And Tina got an opportunity to teach, to teach for a few weeks in, in those Bible classes. And it's just like, these kids are open books. And as they answer the questions uh, that come up through reading the scriptures, they're honest about it. And they, and many of them come, come to know the Lord through that. And it's also a very diverse community where Seth's five friends are from Germany, Zimbabwe, uh, South Africa, I think. I can't remember. Uh, Tanzania. So five different nationalities are his top, top five friends. So for us, that's a real, a real bonus because the world is becoming more flat and we're finding people of all those different cultures in our neighborhoods. So this will give him a jump start. As well as uh, with, with his grades there and his coaching there, he should be able to get a scholarship to, to also go to university after he puts in some time on that ship that his sister was on, which is what his goals are. So just pray for our family that uh, the Lord can continue to use us. I wanted to share with you this morning a passage that is uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 10. That goes along with some of the songs. I really appreciate the songs. And thanks for the drums. I'm sure that kept some of you awake. So, and you're willing to, Al, you're willing to move along with the future. I know you didn't probably have drums back when you were leading, but I praise God. And I know Tina was happy. She loves the drums and so does Seth. And, uh, it reminds us, you know, the one song reminded us about fear and how 
the enemy brings fear into our lives. And many of our lives are controlled by, by fear. And we're worried about what we eat. We're worried about where we go. We're worried about this, worried about that. But I just want to remind you that songs like that help us to realize that uh, as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he can get rid of all that fear. And then you have nothing to fear but fear itself because that is something that can destroy your life and cripple you and put you in a little box to where you can't even move forward. So, you know, some people are afraid to, to go to Africa and to live in Africa. And, yeah, there's a lot of dangers. There's a lot of disease. There's a lot of differences in the culture, a lot of foods that maybe you wouldn't want to eat. But when you're trusting in God and you know why you're there in anything, you can you can make it through. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 7. Let me just read that. It says... For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Amen. First thing I want to say here is that we just need to know our weapons. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, you've heard messages on that. I don't know how many times, I'm sure, just about how we battle not against flesh and blood. But the enemies are the principalities and the powers of this dark world. We can't see them, but they're there. They're whispering in our ears. They're influencing our decisions. And yet, so how do you fight against the, an enemy that you can't see? You need weapons that are spiritual weapons. Weapons that can decimate fear and and uh all the things that go along with it. When, when you want to know what your weapons are, you just have to get into the scriptures and see. But Ephesians 6 is a great, is a great passage for that. You know, when I, when I, as I've worked in Africa for, for my whole life, I was born there and raised there and, and I've worked there. You hear so many stories and some of those stories, uh, would be so, Wild that I wouldn't even be able, you wouldn't be able to listen to them and, and believe in them, but the stories that we hear. But so some of the things that we hear and see from the pastors that we lead with show that there's a deep level of faith in our African brothers. They may be economically challenged. They may have different issues as far as development, but they are people we can learn from as far as the area of faith. Um, there's one pastor there that, that has been, he's been crippled with, he was crippled with polio back in, in the early 50s, and uh, his name is Pipey, and he sh- he showed up at my grandfather's doorstep in, in 1952, and I, actually 53, and uh, sat there at that hospital trying to get treatment for his shriveled legs for a, ho- a whole year, and he was hardcore against God and against Christianity and against what had happened to his life. But after being there for a whole year and my grandfather investing in his life, this guy Pipey gave his life to Christ. And he has been the longest standing evangelist now that I know in, in, in the Tanzanian church. He's been well over, well, I don't know, since 53, however many years that is, but it's probably pushing 60. Somebody do the math on that. But it's many, many years <laughs> that he's been serving the Lord until now. And recently when we went... We, we met with him. He, he said, I want to share a story. I have a garden and I, I work so hard to, to, for my corn to grow and, and my, my millet to grow. And it was just coming up so nicely. And then one of the neighbors who had many, many, many cows, uh, just let his cows come into my garden and eat everything. And he said, when I, we knew whose cows it was and we confronted him in front of this, the village magistrate and he just laughed and said, what are you going to do about it? 
So Pipey said, I went to my garden and I got down on my knees and I, I put my Bible and I read my Bible and I laid it in the dust and I said, Lord, I have worked hard. I'm, I'm crippled and I don't have money. I don't have the ability to feed my family and my entire garden has been destroyed by this man who is not willing to pay compensation. Would you please, Lord, defend me? Because the magistrates won't. And the guy had said, you can't prove that my cows, nobody saw the cows. You can't prove that they're there. Well, what happened was the next day, the whole herd, the whole herd of cows came back again to his garden. And they were able to catch them and call the village magistrates in and they said, you know, see, they're here again. And these are the cows. And you must pay a hundred thousand shillings or whatever it was, you know, that, that you owe for this garden. And the guy said, I will only pay a quarter of that. And then, and, um, Pipey just stood there and thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family? And as he tells the story, he said, uh, the, the cows started leaving. All the cows started leaving and following their, and being led out by the owners. And the, the biggest bull that was, a, that the guy really, really highly valued just went out into the middle as Pipey was praying and laid down in the middle of the field. No matter what they would do to try to get it up, to call it by name, to push it, it would not get up. It would not get up. And, Pipey says, well, I guess that's my payment. I'm going to sell this bull and, and I will get my money back. And the guy's, no, you can't, that bull, that bull is worth so much more and so much more. And finally, after hours of deliberation, he says, okay, pray to your God to release my bull and I'll pay you the money, the full amount today. So Pipey said, really? You'll give it to me today? And he said, yes. So he said, Lord, please, if you're the one holding this bull from leaving this garden, release him. So that I will get my money. And the bull stood up, shook it off and started following uh, the owner out of the field. And as Piper relates it, he says, the bull kept looking back at him. And every now and then, kept looking back at him. But it's amazing when you, when we, and he has many, 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 many stories that I'd love to someday share with you. And uh, I think we might just need to write a book, Tina, because there's so many things uh, that especially just Pipey and other other leaders have seen. But what an amazing story! You know, he gra- he didn't grapple with the courts; he grappled with his spiritual weapons that he had. Amen. As we look at the process that Tina and I use now in a lot of our teaching, it's uh, we first bring truth to break down the faulty teaching. In our marriage seminars, we always ask them, "What are some of the?" What are some of the, the traditions that you have in your culture that are counter to the biblical teaching about marriage or about life in general? And then they come up with those ideas and we talk about it. So as we identify the lies in their lives, then that's breaking down the, the falsehood. And then we build it up after the next process is to build it up with truth. And then eventually you see people experience a spiritual breakthrough because the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They're spiritual weapons. So when we look at uh, the second part of that verse, it says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So the lies, man's opinions, our ideas, many of which you, you see happening even today in Seattle and other places, people are, are uh, bringing their lofty opinions and raising those opinions against, not against us, but against God himself and against the scriptures and what, he, what the truth is that's laid out. And we see that that needs to be broken down so people can do that. Cultures, cultures are melding. And, and um, as we're exposed to so many different cultures, we, we see that there's a common denominator because we have the same enemy. When Natalie's ship sailed through Tanzania 
partway through her, her journey and it docked in Tanzania for three weeks, we were able to come onto the ship as staff. And as I did a lot of teaching and translating, Tina just went straight into the counseling. Counseling uh, kids from all over the world that are on that ship. In the first 11 kids that she counseled were from 11 different nations. Everywhere from Iran to, to Siberia to Japan to South Korea to South Africa to whatever. And the interesting thing was they all had similar issues. They all had similar spiritual problems and they all could be met with a solution that was in scripture. So it became so effective for Tina to be able to just bring people back to scripture and counsel them and help them move forward. You know, people say now that the earth is becoming more flat to where my 16-year-old has a lot more in common with another 16-year-old from Japan or South Korea or Germany than he might with me. You know, and I've noticed certainly in the area of technology, games, and things like that. He'll, you know, I let him play games on Saturdays, and he'll be playing with kids in, from all over the world. Good games that we supervise, but, uh, <laughs> but the fact is that he's playing and talking with kids from all over the world and doing things I can never do or even imagine can can, you know, and uh, when it comes to the different issues that are going on across the world and the people God brings before us, the solutions are the same. Jesus Christ brings transformational truth into the lives of people. So we destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God through the truth that he gives us. You know, as we, as we uh, build our team, Tina and I have at least eight families that we work together closely with now in Tanzania and around that region. People that have come into our workshops and then they go back out to their own countries and reproduce uh, the material and teach it to their own context. So we have now, out of every seminar with maybe uh, 15 to 17 couples, there'll be one or two that just really get it and they decide to go back to their area and do it. So hundreds of, of seminars have actually taken place. Thousands of people have been reached through this marriage transformational stuff. And you know, we, we, we've always thought of marriage uh, seminars, you know, engagement encounter, marriage encounter. Those are great things. Let's do it, you know, every now and then. But to, to realize that this is a core issue in our societies. And I mean, in Africa, it's, it's transformational. When people's marriages are transformed, it's, it's unbelievable what it does for the communities. And some of the things we've seen are, are so revolutionary. Pastors that have been in the ministry for 20, 25 years. One particular pastor um, came up and shared that we were talking about the power of words. And this man was not only had not only been a pastor for many, many, many years, but he was in charge of the Bible school training program for the entire country. And he said, you know, when you talk about the power of words and, and putting a banner over somebody through what you say, the Bible says that a banner over us should be love. But the banner that I've, he said, the banner that I've put over my son is, you're a thief. You're never going to amount to anything. And he says, it breaks my heart because I've been such a harsh parent in my words towards my son. And now my son has just been arrested and kicked out of college because he stole the equivalent of $50. And he's, and, and I told him, I said, see, I told you, you are a thief. You're never going to, you know. And he says, it just breaks my heart. I, I can't wait to get on the phone and talk to him and ask him for, for forgiveness, you know. And as these things happen, you see he and his wife and their marriage being transformed. But as he phoned his son and repented to his son and later went and called, invited his son back home, his son had been expelled and he was back at home, but he wouldn't go to the gardens to work. He wouldn't help his mom and dad with anything. He was just belligerent. Um, 
when his dad repented to him and said, I'm sorry that I labeled you this way. I'm sorry I've been a harsh father. I wanna, I wanna, I've been a poor example of the loving father, heavenly father that we have. Will you forgive me? And when the son forgave him, now this has been, I think, four years ago. And we just recently heard the son, you know, he, he, he committed his life to God. He, he got married. He has, he's brought grandchildren. He's got a garden. He's working. He went back to school. All these things, unbelievable, just because of the power of words. And as, as, uh, that sto- those stories are shared with us, another pastor who has actually been through 25 years of ministry, was also a, a top leader in the church, uh, grew up under a very oppressive, uh, father who beat him and almost killed him a few times. And, uh, you know, so he, even though he was a pastor, was very, very, very rough on his family. And God touched him in, in, the, in the marriage workshop. And at that point, he'd already been to missionary school and he'd been deployed as a missionary to another region. And um, he, he, he says, all of my kids have left my home. But my kids used to be afraid to come to me and ask for money for a pencil, even when they were in school. They would have to go to their mom and then she would come in trepidation and say, can we get money for a pencil? No! Why do you need another pencil? I bought you one last week. And he says, I was so harsh. And I, and he said, I, I'm going to spend whatever money I have and travel and go repent. He went and repented to his daughters who were in two or three different uh, towns and uh, their relationship was, was so restored. And he has been so effective in his ministry and what he's doing now and his kids. And, and you know, he hadn't talked to his father, which is very unusual for, for Africans, but because he was such a severe father, he even divorced his wife, which is very uncommon over there. Um, this, this pastor actually went and asked his dad to forgive him for the fact that he says, Dad, forgive me because I've hated you for so many years. And because of that hatred in my heart, I've lost and you've lost. And his father... Didn't know what to say. He's not even saved. He wasn't even saved. But he just listened to him. And, you know, and I guess it's more about him than the response. But then later on, a year and a half, two years later, the father got so sick. He went to the village and got him and took him all the way to the new city where he was doing missionary work. And took care of his father until his father died. And his father gave his life to Christ within weeks of, of when he left, uh, when he passed away. So you see, the impact is 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 unbelievable. And as, you know, as we continue to minister, you know, one of the special aspects about Tanzania is that there's such a diversity of religions. I mean, so the government just comes out and says, okay, no census on religion, but we're going to say one-third of Tanzania is Muslim, one-third is Christian, and one-third is non-decided. So that's our statistic. That's the way it's going to stay. Any kind of religious violence, any kind of uh, ethnic stuff that goes on, they crack down on it really, really hard. But it's actually good because there's uh, opportunity to share the gospel freely. And uh, Tina and I are going to be living for the next two years in Dar es Salaam in an Islamic community. We're the only Christians that I know of there. We're the only expat, expatriates from a different country living in that community. We've already rented a house and started meeting some people in that community. But we have three mosques around us that will blast the call of prayer from three different angles at us five times a day, uh, starting at 4.30 in the morning. So we plan on doing a lot of praying <laughs> and rolling over in bed at least for that 4.30 one and muttering a prayer. But I, it should be really interesting to see uh, what it's like to live in that community and to uh, just through relationships touch uh, the people around us that are completely following a different God. And, you know, because of the freedom that we have, Tina's been able to, for the last three years, develop a ministry in the local schools teaching the Bible hour. And uh, they have an hour a day that they allowed that is mandatory for people to listen to a religion. So Muslims can come in, Catholics, whoever wants to come in. But Tina came and approached uh, four of our local schools 
with her team uh, of teachers. And with the flannel graph, they go in there and they teach the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And she has seen, I uh, wish she had time to share, but amazing, amazing results. Where you have everybody coming to listen to Tina because she's got flannel graph and it's, it's a visual. And these kids come in, they pack on the hard, or hard soil. It's not even chairs. And there'll be 400, 600 of them in there. And they'll be listening to the message once a week from all these different schools. So, so they do it more than once a week because they go to four different schools. And over the last three years, I think they've seen over 600 kids commit their lives to Christ. And they've had opposition from different groups. A Catholic lady came in one time to one of her lessons and said, all of the kids in here that are Catholics, you get out of this and come over to my class or you'll be beaten, you know. So what motivation that is, you know. You guys need that in your youth, get youth group going, right? So the kids are like, nobody wanted to leave, but finally they left. And then Tina and her team, um, and then she started saying, why is a white woman coming here to teach our kids in our school? She's a foreigner. What does she have to do here? So then Tina's was a little bit nervous about that because immigration issues and so forth. Um, so she went to the head teacher and he says, I do not want you to stop coming because I also am a Christian. And he showed her his big Thompson's chain reference Bible that he had on his desk. He says, I want them to be teaching about the word. You're not teaching a denomination. You're not teaching a religion and a catechism, but you're teaching from the word. Let them decide for themselves. And she says, well, you're going to have to fight the battle or the Lord's going to have to fight the battle of this opposition. Tina went to her prayer group and they prayed um, for the Lord to have mercy on this situation and allow those kids to come hear the word. And uh, that was the last time they ever saw that Catholic sister again in that school because she developed a problem with her legs and couldn't walk. So you see the Lord works in amazing ways. And uh, <laughs> whatever happened there, the Lord knows. But they had a free reign. And the Lord wants the little children to come to him. He says, if you stop the little children from coming to, to me better than a millstone tied around your neck and you're thrown to the bottom of the sea. So what a blessing that that ministry can continue. And, uh, you know, sometimes we just have to look where opportunities are in our own communities. And I'd encourage you here, I understand your community is going to be changing. Uh, there's development, there's a small rail coming in, there's all the different things. So you, you can look forward to a great future of diversity in this community, opportunity in this community to not necessarily fill the church, but go out to the people and, and reach them for Christ, especially when they are in, in a little bit out of their comfort zone in a new area. Refugees and immigrants, those, that's, those are the people you need to reach while they're still fresh. You know, when we were living in Squim in 2011, we went to the local college there in PA and asked the headmaster if he would give us names of all the foreigners that were there that didn't have a place to go for Thanksgiving. And we ended up with Zimbabwean, Chinese, Nigerian. We had like 12 that came to our house, most if not all of which didn't know Christ. Certainly the Chinese lady didn't. We laughed and we ate and we talked. And the one man who'd been there for four years, just about ready to graduate, says, I've never been in a, a white American person's home since I've been here. This has been so nice. And what a challenge that is for us to reach out to, you know. It's great that you support missionaries like us for 30 years and we go out. But God has brought the people to you that we can't reach. And, and uh, you know, just opening up your home, frying some burgers and a couple of hot dogs and having them over um, is an act of love that will actually maybe change the destiny of their eternity. Amen? So I just want to encourage you to do that. You know, many times we... We come up with solutions for missions, uh, solutions for church out, outreach that uh, 
are well thought through and well planned out, but we wonder, you know, why are they not working? A lot of people ask me, oh, wow, would you want to be a teacher and teach the younger generation how to be missionaries and what to do? And I say, no, I, I won't do that because, you know, I can give them principles, but the methodology has to come from them. The methodology has to come from the culture of the day as to how to translate this message of love and hope of Jesus Christ into the language of the people that are there, whether it's cross-culturally or even your culture here in Shoreline. It's changing. And who are we as the elder, older generation to know about the methods of how to do it? You know, I learned this because one of my, one of the reasons I learned this, just applying it to something completely different. My daughter Nadine, who's studying aviation technology is very handy. She makes knives, she makes jewelry, she, she got a job helping build a hundred beehives one time. And as she was building these beehives, I said, man, who's gonna buy these beehives, you know? And uh, that's a lot of, you know, they're 50 bucks a piece and you guys are investing. She says, oh, they've already been sold. There's a, a, a group, uh, environmental group that, that uh, saving, saves elephants. They wanna buy these beehives. I said, what? Why do they want to be? They said, she said, because we, they've figured out that the only way to keep the elephants from invading people's gardens and, and without shooting the elephants, or, or, there's no fence that you can put up to keep out an elephant. She said, was, is, to put, is to put a beehive every hundred feet and then to tie wires between them, paint the beehives white so they're highly visible, put a wire between them so that once they're full of bees, which is quick, we got so many bees, um, then the elephant trying to go through to the people's garden will bump the wire and buzz up the bees and the African killer bees are really mean and they'll go after the elephants and elephants hate bees. Who would know? You know, who would know that a tiny little creature can scare off the biggest creature that we have in Africa? So yeah, she made 100 beehives and, and that has been a very successful project. The point of the story is that's, you know, that's uh, new technology. That's new thinking. It's a new way. I would have been out there with a buffalo gun or an elephant gun and trying to shoot them and okay but that's also that's killing the elephants what do you do so you got to have these these new ideas to come up with to make things work so as you pray for us pray that tina and i uh, will stay relevant that we'll stay uh in touch with what pe- what people have and we will use the the weapons that are available to us amen so as we see the changing trends and missions uh god's faithful and he helps us through so many things. And I just want to challenge you. You know, sometimes God has helped you through a tough situation, maybe, and you haven't even recognized it. We had a, a young girl come to us for counseling. She'd been in a, in a severe trauma. That she was a missionary kid with her mom, good friends of ours in the area we live. And they had landed, uh, they came on the train to Dar Salaam. And as they got out of the train station and at night, they got into a fake taxi and they were abducted. So the mom and her two daughters and a little son and another guy were abducted by this taxi driver and then taken to where there was a gang waiting to just, you know, pillage them and steal everything and who knows what else would have happened to them. And this lady, she's, she's as short as Tina, but a real fireball. She's calling down curses from God in Jesus' name upon this taxi driver. Every time he would approach to stop at this, where this gang of more than 15, you know, club and knife wielding hooligans were, she would be yelling in the name of Jesus, do not stop this car or your family will be cursed and you will be cursed. And he's shaking and he drives past and he does another loop and he does it. Finally, he turns around and says, who are you and where are you from? And she says, I'm from God, <laughs> you know. So he took her and the family out in the middle of nowhere and dumped them all off and all their bags, didn't steal a single thing and drove off in a huff and left them there. 
But that was a trauma. And then they were able to walk and find help and, and be rescued. And uh, uh, almost two years later, we got a call from them and said, you know, our daughter's not sleeping. She's traumatized by this terrible thing that happened. And, and can she come and get counseling from Tina? And so we're like, yeah, come. We'll pay all your expenses. Come, stay with us for a week, relax, and, and we'll do that. And that's another thing we enjoy doing is, is providing member care for missionaries. So they came, and um, it was so simple. Tina just said to her, what, you know, what, what's wrong? Well, where was God? Where was God when I was going through it? She says, God saved you. Nothing happened. Look at what your mom, you know, your mom drew on the strength of, of Jesus and, and they dropped you off and nothing happened to you. And she's like, it's like a light came on. You know, I think of, I think of a message I recently heard in California that, you know, sometimes, you know, God takes us through the fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, the Bible says they came out of that fiery furnace not even smelling like smoke. But how many of us go through the fiery furnace and we get out and yet we, we smell like smoke? We're like, man, I, I smell smoke. I, sh- I should be singed. But when we realize that God has really blessed us, He's really helped us, we need to understand that He did, she, you know, that girl needed to understand that He did save her. He did provide a way for her. They weren't pillaged and destroyed and their lives over, maybe even killed. And so many times... Uh, you know, we're, we fail to see that God has provided for us blessing because we focus on the problem that we have today. But you know, this world is not our home. You know, and, and, uh, you know that better than anybody in this church. You've had so many funerals in the last, uh, you know, six months to a year I've been hearing and, and, uh, my heart goes out to you and, and, and we go through that every day. We have, we have so many funerals in our village that our employees hardly ever come to work. Because they have to go be at the funeral. And, you know, that's just the way of this world. But God has provided for us an eternity of hope and blessing. And as I conclude this morning, um, there's so, so many stories. But we, we need to realize that uh, and recognize what God does for us. We have a pastor that we partner with that works in a remote... He used to be the head pastor of the, the largest grace church in Tanzania. And, and yet he... He, you know, after going through the marriage workshops and his marriage being transformed and they had, they just seemed discontent. And, uh, we bought him a motorcycle so they could go around and do more ministry. But then there was jealousies and why does he have a motorcycle and all the politics involved. And one day I sat with him and I said, what is, what is, what would get you up in the morning? What, what is it that you would love to just do? He said, I would love to leave this church, which, yeah, that's the church everybody wants to pastor, the biggest church there. I would leave, like to leave this church and go back to my remote village where I used to be a Rastafarian, uh, drunk, drug addict fisherman before I got saved. In fact, uh, yeah, it was your dad, Ken, I mean your brother, Ken Kemper, who, who led him to the Lord. He had a huge uh, outreach and only one person got saved that, that time and it was this guy, Kaiser. And he is now, uh, you know, in that same lake where he was a Rasta man and just doing, nobody could believe he got saved and he went to training and became a pastor. But now he says, I want to go back to those people. I want to get a boat. I want to start taking the gospel to the remote villages in that area. So we said, hey, we'll help you do it. We'll partner with you. We'll be a conduit. People want to donate. We'll help you build a house, get a boat and start doing it. When do you want to go? I'll go now. And he went and they've been there for, for over a year now. And the stories that he sends us back, we feel like we're a part of it. When he's doing something with his wife, we feel like we're also there doing it because we could never go to those villages. He was walking on the, on the shores of Lake Nyasa one day and he met a man cleaning his nets. And uh, witchcraft is so prevalent in that area. And the man said, and he said, hey, I, I know a fisherman. 
too, you know, and, and I know. And he started telling him the story of James and John and, and how Jesus told them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat and how they caught 153 fish. And he's like, whoa, wow, that's an amazing story. And then he starts sharing about who Jesus was. And he's the one who created the fish. He's the one who, who, who calmed the waters. He's the one who, who can, can uh, save you from all your sins and all these different things. And he's like, wow, I, I want that, Jesus. You know, and he actually, he, he knew that this man had a lot of charms and a lot of witchcraft. Well, what about all the things that I use from the witch doctors, you know? He says, no, you, you can't use that. You have to follow. He's a jealous God. He wants you to follow him and him alone. And as, as, he, the, as the news sunk in, he said, I want to I be saved right now. And he got on his knees and prayed and gave his life to Christ right on the, on the sea next to his net. And then later on, um, he said, well... What about those charms? Well, I need this charm to get home safely across the, uh, across the sea. I need this charm to, to catch fish. And I need the charm back in my house to protect my house. And the pastor said, you, you need to get rid of those and burn them and trust in Jesus Christ. All you need to do is pray every morning. Thank you for the food you're providing. Please give me fish in my nets and keep my family safe. That's all you have to do. He says, okay, but what's your phone number just in case that doesn't work? Anyway, a few weeks later, uh, this man called him up and says, You need to come to my village because my wife wants to hear this message that has made me such a different person. I'm helping with the kids. I'm doing this. I caught so many fish. My first time I went out fishing, I've never caught so many fish in my life. And for the first time in our entire life in the village at night, we slept through the night and had a wonderful sleep. You need to come back to this village. So he went. And in the meantime, we'd been able to get a local boat builder to build him a boat and one of the other Swiss missionaries gave an engine so he, got, he and his wife got in the boat crossed the, crossed the lake and, and uh, as they arrived on shore the, past, the ministry he just gets off and starts speaking and preaching and crowds gather and they're saying hey if you're a pastor go home we've sent four pastors home one of them was dead they sent him home in a box witchcraft rules here and he's like no this power is more powerful than, than witchcraft and he continued to preach and preach and in the subsequent three or four times that he's been back there so many people have given their, given their lives to Christ right before we came on this trip he called us and says of all things if you can imagine they want us to bring a marriage seminar to that village 27 couples have signed up and they want us to come and he, he and his wife, uh, you know, they needed a little bit of money. We, we sent them some money. They got in their boat and they went and they had a seminar. And he says, so many people gave their lives to Christ. And there was, they were delivered from the evil spirits in that village. And, and there's hope for the first time in the village, in a village that had never seen Christ. And Tina was so excited. We got to go visit those people. We got to go to that village. And I said, no, 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 we're not going to that village. When we show up with our our American smiles and, you know, desire to help development and so forth. We're going to ruin everything that, that, uh, that the pastor has been working on. Let's just support him to continue going and continue going to more villages and other villages so that they rely on God as their provider to bring them fish, not us as Westerners to, to cripple their, their efforts to trust God. So as we see these stories, you know, we have dozens and dozens and dozens of stories that come back to us and every now and then every every year and a half or maybe two years at the most we'll ask all of our key partners to come back to our place and we feed them and house them for a week and we just brainstorm and say okay what passages of scripture do you use when you're leading leading somebody to christ and and you're finding that they're slaves to this or that or they got this addiction or they got this problem what passages do you use tell us some examples of it and then this guy will say well i use this and i use this and we just sit there tina's writing it all down and and uh, we just sit there and listen and we don't offer much teaching we just listen to what they're doing and we say wow this is what it's all about 
to see men and women in their own context, to take the word and to trust in the Holy Spirit to be able to illuminate them, to understand the words and the meanings of Scripture and use them to, to bring transformation in their societies. We don't need to be the custodians of the doctrinal position of these people because if they go into error, slight error in one way or the other, the Holy Spirit corrects and helps. And then we have times of teaching, of refreshing time and time again where we bring them back together and we go over things. And then they self-correct and they help each other, but the movement grows and moves forward. So, you know, please continue praying for us. But remember, even in your life, the weapons of your warfare are not of this world, not carnal things. Sometimes we, we were attacked by family members, by people, somebody on the road with road rage or somebody at work, and, and uh, we feel like they're the enemy. They're the ones who are coming against me, but you've got to see beyond the person and see the sin that is working through them. As, it's, as Paul says in Romans chapter 11, the dilemma that he has there, it's the sin working through me, and we need to have grace for one another, and we need to, uh, to be sensitive to not being so easily offended you know, and that, and being so easily offended is is something that I think is is a is a is a stronghold in in the, certainly in the Western Church, where uh, somebody says this, somebody says that. We have doctrinal arguments. We go about this, and we're just offended at every level. Offended, offended, offended. When you're offended, you 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 lose focus on bringing the lost to Christ. So I encourage you, forgive those who have offended you, and try not to take on those offenses so quickly, and see what God will do in your life. The Bible says, where there's unity, I will command my blessing. And as you're unified as a church, as you're unified as the body of Christ, the greater body of Christ, as you're unified as family members, and there's terrible things that we've done to each other, but nothing is too terrible that we can't forgive one another. You know, you've heard a hundred times it said that when you uh, hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison and waiting for your friend to die. Well, that's a good, it's a good example. It's hard to come up with something better because the problem... Um, is consuming you and it destroys your ability. So our enemy, the devil, wants us to just be in these unforgiven uh, uh, bitterness and all these different things so that we're not effective on going forward. Because if he wounds us in that way, we're no longer effective warriors in, in, this, in this battle. And Ephesians 6 tells us our battle is not of this world. We're battling with the spiritual forces of darkness. And very soon we'll be standing in eternity and we'll be carrying in our hand the fruit don't carry the fruit of bitterness and unforgiveness and try to explain to, to Christ that it, uh, on his throne, well, you know, they did this to me. He'll be like, yeah, they did that to me too. They killed me. All I did was heal people and bring them hope and joy and love and promise them the abundant life. And they killed me. So why should we expect anything different? So when you're, when you're attacked and when you're belittled and pushed down, Encourage you, don't take offense, forgive and move forward. And look, don't lose focus as what God, at what God has for, for us. And I think that's what, that's the last portion of this passage where it says, um, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You know, you can read that in a different translation and get, and get a little bit better picture. But taking thoughts captive, the, the thoughts that we come, whether they lead us to addictions, whether they lead us to, to hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness, those are thoughts that originate with the enemy, not with Christ. Take those thoughts captive and deny them and throw them out of your mind and renew your mind as it says in Romans chapter 12 by the washing of the word so that you, you're replacing those neural pathways that you're so used to being uh, receiving offenses and you're replacing that with truth of the word so break down the lies build up 
with truth and you'll experience breakthrough in your life. And I'd like to pray for that this morning for you that God would, would, uh, would show you a way forward. Don't be discouraged. Don't be depressed. Don't be, uh, you know, full of fear. Don't, don't let those evil things dominate your life. Don't let, don't let the, t- the chance, the victimization that you've experienced, don't let, don't be a victim of that. Be free of that because Christ paid for all those things on the phone. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we, we just come to you this morning. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the truth of your word that our weapons that we have at our disposal, the weapon of your word, the shield of faith, all these things, Lord, that you've given us, help us to break down strongholds of sin in our life, strongholds of addiction, bitterness, hatred, all the different things. We see it happening in Africa. We see it happening in Asia. We see it happening in Europe. Father God, with the revival of people coming to, to know you who had no, no hope and no chance. And we pray for that blessing here at Berean Bible Church, here, Lord, in, in Shoreline. I pray that you would bless your people here. And you would allow them to grab hold of joy and peace and the abundant life that you have to offer. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing our last song. And it's just so sweet. You've sung this song before, but you see the little dash at the end there? It's because we're playing a version that requires you to wait before you sing the next line. Musically, it makes sense. When we do it a few times, I think you'll catch on. It's not very difficult, but um, yeah. Called Lazy Lines. Lazy Lines. <laughs> All right, thanks for your patience today. I know we went a little bit longer, but I'll tell you what. Next week, you get out at 11, so you get some extra time. Uh, we'll invite the Moyers up. We'll have a last word of prayer with you, and then you guys can go out first, and people can greet you in the back. And I just want to share... We just finished up our, our sermon series on the book of Philippians and from Philippians chapter 1. Just a reminder for all of us here. So we've already been talking about our partnership in the gospel. Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I'm confident that the Lord is going to continue to do work through you, through what you've already shared, through your ministry, through your lives. And I'm confident that the Lord will continue to work through each and every one of us as we serve him this week. It's going to be in different ways for each and every one of us, but the Lord is working. And we're so grateful and so excited for what the Lord is going to do through each of us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as your body in worship and to hear about the work that is happening here in, in Shoreline, in Seattle, through our ministry and through, through you and through the Moyers in Tanzania. And, and we're just reminded of this work that is so much bigger than, than just each and every one of us, but is all of us together as a body serving you in the world. And yet you have called each and every one of us to be a part of it. And so we're so grateful for the Moyers and the work that you're doing through them. And we ask that as we go out from here, that we may be uh, excited and joyful to continue on with that work wherever you may take us this week. Pray this in your name. Amen.